Praise the Lord. Glory to God. I want to just remind you all that uh, a week from tomorrow night, we will begin corporate prayer here at the church. And uh, we'll begin to pray for many different things, but we're going to focus on our nation, which means we're going to focus some on the church because the church it needs to be, and I believe God is desiring for it to rise up and be a guiding light, a guiding force in our nation. And uh, to understand, we've talked about this in Take 10 before, but to understand that the Word of God says that if my people who are called by my name, how many of you are called by his name? Right, we're Christians. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, right, and turn from their wicked ways. So there's a place of repentance so that we can turn from the way that we've been going, the way that we have been following the things that maybe we've been caught up in. And we begin to pray with an earnestness and a, a heartfelt desire, not just to avoid something that's happening, but really to move something forward from the spirit realm into the natural. If we're not careful, we're just trying to stop things that we see in the natural. We're just trying to stop them. But we don't just want to stop them. We want to supersede and we want to bring what's in the spiritual to penetrate what's happening in the natural and break through. We talk about breakthrough. God's the God of breakthrough, right? And so we need to have a breakthrough in our nation and a breakout. I believe that we're living in the last of the last days. And so, you know, many people are focusing in on Revelation uh, and now, and they're talking about, is this it? And, and uh, we're looking at the last days, and you can look, and what Paul told Timothy about the last days, that t times that are very difficult and they're hard to bear would come, and he lists why. Sometimes we're just like, is this, this is crazy, this is all crazy. What's well, happening for a reason? People have become lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. We see a generation that's disobedient to their parents. We see a lot of people who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. They're lovers of money. They're lovers of all kinds of other things, and they put God second. And that just creates trouble. It just creates trouble, right? And so we as the church, and Paul was warning Timothy of these days that would come, and we as the church don't want to be caught or found in that situation where we are being part of the trouble or we're caught in that trouble. And so really, you know, God really wants to penetrate the darkness. He wants to bring a great light, and we shared a few weeks back, I don't know, it's probably been a few months ago now. This is a prophecy that I heard a number of years ago. It came out in the 60s about the church being this sleeping giant that in the last days would arise and there would be revelation, but there would be uh, just the power of God flow like liquid light from the church and it would be just a dominant force. But we have to understand the difference between light and darkness. We can't just say we're going to be a rising force but not really walk in the light of what God has. We can't be a, a, a really a force of light if we're not... Uh, really understanding and, and bringing forth light to those around us. And one of the ways that we bring forth light to those around us is we're, we're different. We're, we're a little bit strange. We're not weird. We don't have to be demonstratively weird. There's something in a society today that if you're walking in love and you're not angry about all of the different things that are going on in the world, it separates you from every single person that is bitter and angry. 
When you begin to read through the scripture, which we'll probably touch on it in the, in the next couple weeks, but the Bible talks about this. It talks about the world and, and rioting and reveling and, and people gathering together for the source of destruction. We, you read the Old Testament when God talks about those gathering together for only the purpose of shedding blood. It was something that we thought, this is outrageous. This is like going clear back to barbaric days of old. And all of a sudden we're seeing on the news that people are just coming together to riot, to hurt people who don't agree with them. And it's a time to just rise up as the church and show a whole different light. Not to get caught up in rendering evil for evil and arguing with that, but to rise up with the strength that comes from within us, the life of God that is in us. I believe there's a move of the Spirit of God that is on, but it's going to grow and it's going to grow and it's going to grow. And the power that we walk in individually is such a supernatural power. Come on, there's something on the inside of you. There's something on the inside of me that is so creative. It's the force that hovered over the face of the deep. I know we can get in this, into this and say, I've heard this before, I understand this, you talk about this all the time, but we're going to get to the point that we understand that the Holy Spirit of God that hovered over the face of the deep in Genesis chapter 1, and when God said, let there be light, he executed light, that God is speaking into our lives, that when the Holy Spirit, we receive that word of God into our hearts where the Holy Spirit dwells, the power of the Holy Spirit begins to go to work to cause it to come to pass and be created in you it's such a miracle working force that wants to transform us into a place that we're no longer who we used to be and we're not some just odd thing but we're no longer we're so much more powerful we're so much more stable we're, we're not moved by the circumstance of the day we're not moved by a negative look we're not moved by a, a, a downgrading statement we're not moved by the economy we are rock solid in who we are in Christ and what's on the inside of us and we are able at any given moment to release the power of God on the inside of us whether it's to somebody that we're with that we love or to somebody that we don't even know that we may not that may not love us but God wants to move through us in an incredible power but to understand this we have to go back and and I'll, I'll preface this a little bit and we'll, we won't even we'll just scratch the surface what we want to talk about in the next couple of weeks I want to challenge you so when I challenge you today next week you might not come but please come I'm just challenging you we're going to go over something that seems very basic, and you know, uh, my staff, we, we pray uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday morning, and you say, well, why not Thursday? I don't know. I have other things. I have uh, some people I'm discipling on th Thursday morning that I meet with, but we pray, and then we have devotion every Thursday morning, and we've gone through the New Testament, and we talk about it, and we've been in the Gospels lately, and I I'm telling you, the, the Gospels have challenged me, and I believe over the last 20 years, we've come to know the love of God in such a dynamic way. But Jesus challenged his disciples. He challenged people every single day to commitment. And he knew with what they were going to face, they would have to be committed in the face of the things that they would encounter he challenged them in their faith every time they were like, oh, it's not going to work out. He challenged them to rise up and to trust him with what he was giving them, what he was teaching them, and what he would put on the inside of them. 
that they might establish the church on such a foundation that over 2,000 years later, the church would still be going strong. And the things that he put on the inside of them that they deposited to others, that they taught others, that they instilled in others of commitment of the lordship of Jesus Christ would carry it through difficult times to get to this day so that the latter house of God would be greater than the former house of God, that the outpouring of the latter day would be far greater than the outpouring of the former day. And we look at the outpouring of the book of Acts where they were walking in the midst of persecution and seeing signs and wonders and miracles that even even if Peter's shadow fell in a place, they got passed by them, they would get up and walk. There was something about miracle working power, but understanding that miracle working power flows from a place of righteousness and relationship with God. It flows from a place where Jesus Christ truly is Lord. And understand my language here that he's Lord, not just Savior. And we've looked at the place where we call him Lord, but we think, I don't really want you to be Lord. I want you to save my life. I want to end up in heaven someday, but I really don't want your word or your spirit to dictate to me on a daily basis what I think, where I go, and what I do. But I believe that God is challenging us as a people in this day to come back to understanding what it means for Jesus to be Lord. For Jesus to be Lord. Turn over to Romans, the 10th chapter. Romans, the 10th chapter. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'm, I'm truly excited. Who's that lead singer of uh, the Imperials? Russell Tapp. This goes way back. Some of you don't even know who I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> this is good. When I get to my age, I get to say, you know, oh, back when we walked barefoot in the snow <laughs> both ways. Yeah. <laughs> back. These people you don't even know, you youngsters. Uh, no, Russell Taft, he, he used to say this. He said, if Jesus isn't Lord of all, is he Lord at all? And sometimes we try to say he's Lord of this area of my life. He's, he's Lord of the church area of my life, but he's not Lord of my work life. He's not Lord of my family life. He's not Lord of my recreation life. Then he's really Lord. It just becomes religion if he's only Lord of your church life. But it becomes true depth of relationship when he's Lord of every area of our life. So Paul said this in Romans 10, 8. He says, what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Some other translations say he's saying if you'll confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Then you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. He says that confession of Jesus as Lord means I am confessing. And let me just lay this out for you for a moment. When you say, Jesus, come into my heart and be the Lord of my life, that word Lord means master. 
So he said, in order to really be saved and to know and be firm in your salvation, your eternal life, that you need to know that I asked Jesus to come into my heart and be the master of my life. I no longer want sin to be the master of my life. I no longer want to master my own life, which you're not doing anyway. I want Jesus to become the master of my life. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. I'm going to read this out of the Passion Translation. It says, Now the Lord I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit. And wherever he is Lord, there is freedom. Where the Holy Spirit is Lord or master of our life. In other words, when we ask Jesus to come in to our hearts, we're asking him to come into our hearts. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father in his form. But Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, comes to live on the inside of us. And we say, listen, I want you to come on the inside of me. And where you're Lord, there is freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from myself. Freedom from the sin that so easily besets me. Freedom from the weights that, that weigh me down, that keep me from moving forward. Why? Because you are Lord and there's freedom. And where there's a freedom from sin, there is a transformation from one degree of glory to the next by how good we are no the transformation takes place by this one who is Lord by the Spirit of God he says we begin to look into the mirror we begin to look into the Word of God and there's something when we look at this and we reverence this and we say this is this is the instruction book this is the owner's manual and I know many of you are like me, you never read the owner's manual. And when you end up with extra parts, you just figure those are spare parts, so if something goes wrong. And there's others of you that you read every little part of the instruction manual to make sure everything is right, but we haven't realized that this is not just a religious book, but this is from our creator. This is the one that gave us the divine purpose. He's the one that told us how this worked, where it broke down. When man gave place and said, I'll do my own thing, I'll make my own decision about this right and wrong, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it broke down. And God began to work from that moment on to restore what he had created, to fix what was broken, to bring us back into relationship with him and then after Jesus came and died he said I want to tell you how this works and how you most effectively and efficiently will work in what you were created to do in the gifts and the callings and live in power over sin and thus over the death that would try to overcome and dictate to our life there's true freedom when you know I'm not going to go out and make that same mess of tomorrow Thank God for 1 John 1 9. Thank God. How many of you thank God for 1 John 1 9? How many of you know what 1 John 1 9 says? It says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we're like, thank God for 1 John 1 9. God, I did it. I messed up. Thank you for forgiving me. And we're back to it. But so often, if we get casual with that, we just think, you know what? God, I got to cover myself tonight. So before I go to bed, now I lay me down to sleep. I confess my sin of the day. Thank you for forgiving me. But we're looking forward to tomorrow going, you know what? I've had trouble with this for years, and I'll probably do it tomorrow. 
But he said, listen, there's a transformation that takes place when you come and you say, listen, I'd messed up. And the reason that it makes me sorrowful is because I'm not Lord of my life anymore. And I don't want sin to Lord over me anymore. I want you to be the Lord of my life. So I confess it. And he washes you and cleanses you from anything that would break relationship. He restores you to righteousness and cleanses you of all unrighteousness. So once again, you can throw your shoulders back and look at tomorrow and say, tomorrow will be a brand new day. And when I'm confronted with the same situation, I have gone in and I've confessed my sin and I have laid a hold of God's mercy. And once I laid a hold of God's mercy, I found in that place of mercy grace for me. I found an influence in my heart. I found an ability. I found that the favor of God was upon me. And so I can resist the temptation and the sin and lay aside the weight that so easily besets me from my race. And I don't look forward to getting to the end of the week and being exhausted because I keep messing up, but I look forward to getting through the day and rejoicing that I'm free from that thing that so has so easily beset me, that problem that keeps coming my way, my situation in my marriage that keeps messing up. I am so looking forward to being free and walking in the fullness of what God has for me, that my children get restored to God, that my marriage becomes all that God created it to be, that I truly prosper in and I'm able to give to the gospel going around the world that I live in the power of God and when I see someone in need I can give or I can pray and know the power of God will be released through my words and through my hands to do something demonstrative and effective to bring freedom and liberty we can never do it on our own Jesus has to be Lord of our life it's not a casual thing But he's Lord and he's transforming. So as we look at this, turn over to Matthew chapter 16. Somebody told me this one time. I can't tell you if it's true or not, but it seems to be really a good piece of advice. (laughs) That if you see something in three or four of the gospels repeated, that it's really important. Right, you might see one story and it looks this way and another story and it looks this way, but if it's really repeated, I mean, it's crystal clear, all four Gospels or three of the four Gospels, it's time to pay attention. And so I took that into consideration. And I want to ask you this question because it is a pretty popular phrase and I don't want you to think it's a trick question because it's not, but how many of you consider yourself a follower of Jesus? most of you. All right. Praise the Lord. A follower of Jesus. And so it's a popular term now. Instead of just saying I'm a Christian, we talk about being a follower of Jesus. But Jesus really begins to describe to us what a follower of Jesus is. And so in Matthew chapter 16, we're going to read all three accounts here just for effect and for impact. Verse 24 says, then Jesus said to his disciples, If you truly want to follow me, you should at once... Oh, wait a minute. I'm going to go to New King James. Sorry, I was in the Passion Bible. There we go. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Everybody deny myself. Say it again. Deny myself. Come on, say it real loud. Deny myself. (laughs) Woo, somebody just got free. All right. Deny himself, take up his cross, 
and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with the angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Turn over to Mark, the eighth chapter. The 34th verse, it says, when he, called, when he had called the people to himself, with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes into the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We were talking about that in our devotion time, and it just dawned on me, you know, I, we look forward to that day that we leave the body and we're standing before Jesus. I just got this picture, you know, I come out of the body and I'm approaching heaven what I want is for Jesus to go, here comes Mark. Hey, Father, here comes Mark. Here he comes. I just want to tell you, he's ours. He's one of ours. I don't want Jesus to look around and go, look at God and go, God's like, who's this? I don't know who this is. Jesus to look around at everybody looking at him and Jesus get uncomfortable at my coming to heaven. Huh? So he's talking about when we look at him and people look at us and we feel uncomfortable. Trying to preserve our reputation, our feelings, our emotion. What if people don't like the fact that I'm a Christian? What if people don't like the fact that I acknowledge Jesus Christ? What if they say something back to me? And he says, listen, if you have this discomfort about yourself and you're trying to preserve where your feelings are at and that, he says, then... When it's time for me to acknowledge you, we have that same situation. And I understand that the fear of man and the discomfort of those things truly take place. You're surrounded by the people that you work with and what kind of reputation are you going to have? How is that going to go at work if you've got to go every single day and do all that? But this is when Jesus is Lord. We allow him to guide us and to show us how we can be most effective in our witness but he says the first thing that you have to understand and you have to know is, listen, that true heart acknowledgement that who I am, not only who I am and saying I know who he is, but who am I to you? That heartfelt desire that would say to anybody, right, I don't stand around when people are coming and somebody says, who's this that's with you? Well, really, I don't know. Somebody says, do you have a wife? I don't go, well, I don't know. <laughs> kind of, but she's really not like a wife like some other people who really are radical about their wife. 
who just really love their wife with all of their heart. I mean, she's not really that kind of wife. I mean, yeah, yeah, I see her at home every now and then, and once a week I visit, and so you kind of, but not really. No. Man, I stand her up and say, this is my wife, Tasha. I'm connected. We're in covenant. Meet my wife. She's talented. She's full of ability. Without her, I'm a mess. Right? When it comes to Jesus, we're like, well, you know, some people are real fanatical. I don't really want to identify with them. And we get ourselves caught by a strategy of the enemy. That if we're not careful, and I know we won't admit it, and I'm just challenging you today to just dig down deep. And if you can dig down deep and go, that's not me, I'm, I'm good, then that's good. But I believe if we unearth some stuff, we challenge ourselves, and then we move some stuff out. We're going to start to see the power of the Holy Spirit rise like we've never seen it before. We're going to find a boldness come to our heart. And for everybody who you don't have a bold personality, I'm not saying you have to be like somebody who is just like, Wah! they don't care. They just say whatever, wherever, whenever. We're just talking about there's not that timidity found in you. But I've moved that place of timidity, and what's working in me is a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Because Jesus is Lord, and I acknowledge that. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. He said, then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Everybody say, deny myself. Deny myself. Say it a little louder. There you go. Take up his cross daily. Everybody say daily. daily. And follow me. Forever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will Save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and himself is destroyed, he himself destroyed or lost? Forever is ashamed of me and my words. Of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and is his Father's and of the holy angels. So he says some things here. He says them three times that are very important. And we're just going to touch on one. And then next week, I'll give you time to process. We'll come back. We'll touch on another one. <laughs> and uh, if you come back, we'll touch on them. the last one. But he says this. He says that you're going to have to deny yourself. If Jesus is going to be the Lord of our life, we're going to have to deny ourselves. He says you're going to have to create a whole new value system. In your life, you're going to have to create a whole new value system that is based on what God values and what God doesn't value, and you're going to have to crucify your flesh. And some people come on hard times and they say, this is just my cross to bear. But more often than not, when Jesus says, take up your cross, he's not talking about tough times that you bear. He's talking about crucifying the old man. He's talking about crucifying your flesh. 
And we want to have this resurrection power. We want to have this resurrection life. We want to have this outpouring of the Spirit of God. We want to have all this. But you can't have that resurrection life without a crucifixion. And so really, the <laughs> this is really good. You could hear a pin drop. The first thing that we, do, we need to understand, if we're going to walk in the power of God, we're going to be ready, we have to deny ourselves. I'm just going to challenge you this week to deny yourself something. Deny yourself that thing that you just can't help. you got to say what you got to say. Deny yourself saying it. To whoever it is, deny yourself some luxury of the flesh, some desire of the flesh. Just say, no, I'm not going to do that. Deny yourself something that you want to do and take time to spend with him. I'm just challenging all of us not to start and just go like, I got to do this. Just, just challenge yourself. Do this. Deny yourself something. I know some of you are like, I already deny myself. I mean, my husband gets everything he wants and I didn't. Deny. No, I'm talking about you with God. Deny yourself. How many of you still want to follow Jesus? All right, we lost a few of you there. But see, that happens. We see it happen in the scripture when we're challenged to actually deny something of self, people begin to fall off. And Jesus was really serious about commitment, and I believe he's more serious about commitment right now. Why was he so serious about commitment? Because he was about to leave the earth in the hands of his disciples to establish the church. And he said, I need you 100% committed. I need to be Lord of your life. I need you to the place where you don't count your own life dear to yourself because I want to establish something that will go from generation to generation until I come again. And I believe that he is challenging the church right now to become more committed than ever because he's getting ready to come again. He prepared his people for his departure and he is now preparing us for him to come again. And this gospel of the kingdom, of the rule of God, in the lives and the hearts of people must be preached to every nation for Jesus to come again, for the end to come again. So we're going to have to deny ourselves to make sure that the gospel gets to every single person and every place. Which means the corners of where we work in western Colorado and where we play Clear into the uttermost parts of the world. We have a part to play in making sure that the gospel is preached, but it won't always be convenient. It will take commitment. And Jesus knew that if you are in the way, and you are in your own way, I can't be Lord. Because it's easy to say he's Lord, but when decision time comes... What decision do you make for him or for you? And I'll just be honest enough to say that too often I make a decision for me and not for him. And I know it needs to change. Because I don't know about you, I want to see people coming, making a full commitment to Jesus Christ. Coming back to the altar, kneeling down and say, just as I am, I leave it right here, everything, for you to be the Lord of my life. I'm not picking something up and taking it with me. I'm not trying to keep some of my stuff and keep it alive. 
but I'm willing to lay it all down and deny myself and follow you. That word deny means to disown. It means to affirm that one has no acquaintance with or connection with. He says when you're going to deny yourself, you have to affirm that you have no acquaintance with or connection with what? With your old man. I affirm I have no connection with who I used to be. It means to forget oneself, to lose sight of oneself and of one's own interests. This is attacking us today because we've been taught for a number of decades right now to think about self, to put self first, to get everything that self desires. We've even learned in the church that God wants to give you everything that you desire. And we've come to the place that, listen, it, it, it's about, I'm not going to give up anything. I, I should get everything. I should get anything. But he says, listen, you're going to have to come to the point of saying, listen, I, I just, I disown my old man. Come on, if we're not careful, I'll get in trouble for this one, but I'm going to say it anyway. If we're not careful, we start to romanticize about our old man and our story and our testimony. Instead of saying, you know what, I disown and I disavow who I used to be for the new man in Christ. Turn over to Mark chapter 10. I know this seems a little sobering, but I'm very excited to see and to watch what God will do as we make little decisions to say, no, I'm not going to do that. When I see that news, I'm not going to say that. When my husband or my wife does that, I'm not saying that. When that person says or does that, nope. It'll feel good to just get it off my chest, but I deny myself that feeling and I put it down. That thing that my flesh wants, and it wants it bad, I just deny myself that. You say, Pastor, I think it goes a lot deeper than that. Well, if it goes a lot deeper than that, then you've got to get out of the shallow. Come on, listen. We are living proof that you can drown in the shallow end of the pool. Come on, the shallowness of selfishness, people are drowning in it every single day. They're becoming hopeless in, in trying to feed self, feed self, feed self, and they're finding no solution, and they're, ja they're, they're drowning in something that they think is so deep that they can't swim in, that if they just put their feet down and stood up, it would be about this deep. And they'd understand that who I am in Christ is far greater than the thing I've been flailing and thinking I'm drowning in all of this huge pool, and it's really just the shallowness of selfishness. Praise the Lord. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Now, he, as he was going out on the road, one came running and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And so Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. 
You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And we would all look, and if I said, listen, how are you all doing in your Christian life? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I, you can name things that you're doing good. And he answered, and he said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. I love that. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he said to him, one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Come, take up your cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. See, we get to the point of saying, listen, I can, I can tell you all the things that I'm doing for God. And I'm not here to make a judgment because I'm just here to challenge all of us. If you say, listen, I don't know what you're even talking about. I got this all wired. Then thank you for coming and helping me. But we can list all the things we're doing. We think, man, God, God is just happy at what I am doing, not what I'm not doing. But you need to read the Bible. Because people were always touting what they were doing. And God says, but there's something that has you that you haven't dealt with yet. And right here, he's just saying, you know what? If you would take this one thing and deny yourself this one thing, if you would deny yourself of these riches, and, and sometimes we look at that and we think, is God calling me to sell everything I have and, and feed the poor? Only if that has you. Gossip may have you. Unforgiveness may have you. Offenses may have you. What is it that really has you when you're like, man, I, I love God. I read my Bible every day. I pray every day. But yet we're not walking in the true power of God. We're walking in something. What is it, that one thing that I could say, you know what, I really know I could deny myself this and turn and give it to God? Because he asked him this and he loved him so much. And the rich young ruler walked away, said, I will not deny myself those possessions, even at the face of not inheriting eternal life. It's something that's very subtle. This man came, and he obviously had a desire. He ran, and he fell at his feet, and he thought by falling at Jesus' feet and telling him, you are good, and Jesus said, wait a minute, we're, we're getting off on the wrong foot here. Stand up. There's no good except for God. What is it that you want? How do I inherit eternal life? Well, you've heard of all the commandments. I'm doing everything I know to do. He says, there's one thing. If you deny yourself one thing, take up your cross and follow me. And it was that one thing. It was that one thing that kept him from following Jesus. Not that one thing that kept him from going to synagogue. Not that one thing that kept him from going to church. It was that one thing that kept him from following Jesus and inheriting all that heaven had to offer him. Turn over to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, but Paul is talking about all the things that he has accomplished in his life. He said, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss. 
Yet indeed, I also count all these things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. There's something in understanding this that what is hard for me to let go of, once I let go of it, I'm looking at it going, wow. Peter said this. He said, listen, the things that we used to walk in, the things that we used to revel in and be with in the flow of the world, he said, once we set those aside, those are the things that we actually look back and say, why did I even do that? I'm ashamed of the way that I was acting now that I've really given it over to Jesus Christ. Verse 9 says, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, uh, that the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. There's that crucifixion again. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead, not that I have already attained, for I am already or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid a hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and pressing forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let as many of us as mature having this mind and if you think anything otherwise God will reveal even this to you nevertheless to the degree that we have already attained let us walk by the same rule let us be of the same mind Paul said listen we haven't all apprehended we haven't all attained to the highest level yet he said but whatever degree you've attained walk in the level that you've attained setting aside denying the things of yourself and watching the prize watching yourself move towards the goal of becoming more and more like Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says that any man that be in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, everything has become new, and everything is of God who has reconciled us to himself. He said, listen, the old man is dead. Deny the old man his privileges. Deny the old man his, his, his desires. Deny it so that Jesus can be Lord. In Hebrews chapter 12, starting verse 1, it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He said, listen, let's deny ourselves. Let us lay aside the things that easily beset us so that we can look unto Jesus. Jesus desires us to follow him more than ever before. Jesus desires for us to go out, to preach the gospel of the kingdom to heal the sick, to cast out devils, to see miracle working power like never before. But he told his disciples, in order for all of this to take place on a continual basis, you're going to have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. He said, in order to deny yourself, you have to readjust your value system. In Luke, the 14th chapter, he said, listen, unless you set up your value system, if father, mother, brother, sister, and even your own life mean more to you than Jesus does, you're not able to become his disciple. 
I just challenge us, let's not be like the rich young ruler. One, let's not take it for granted that we're all good. Let's examine our heart. Let's not just say, I prayed a prayer and I'm going to heaven, I'm safe. But to begin to look and say, is Jesus really Lord of my life? Am I, am I really experiencing the freedom from sin, from anger, from offense? Am I really experiencing the freedom from myself and the selfishness that would try to dictate my life? Am I really free from that? And if you can say no, honestly, no, I have some things that are really binding me up, then just say, you know what, I'm going to make a commitment to make the Holy Spirit, to make Jesus the Lord of my life. And when I do, I'm going to deny myself the luxury of being offended. I'm going to deny myself the luxury of being selfish. And I'm going to put him first and walk in love and forgive people. I'm going to give. I'm going to walk in joy when I don't feel like it. I'm going to walk in peace when anxiety tries to attack. I'm going to deny myself the luxury of being anxious every single day and stressed out. Say, well, I don't give myself that luxury. Well, listen, if somebody comes and tells you, quit worrying, what do you say? Quit worrying? What do you mean, quit worrying? See, it's just something that you give yourself. Because there's something on the inside that says, if you don't worry, you don't care. But really, you care enough to trust him. Because you couldn't do anything about it anyway. You can't add one cubit to your stature by worrying. I mean, you still want to follow Jesus. Come on. I just challenge us. I'm just telling you, there's miracles in you. There's miracles in you that we're just missing by a fine-tuned adjustment to say, not my will, but your will today. Not what I want, not what's convenient for me. What do you want me to do? You want me to stop for a minute and talk to this person? You want me to let that person be released? You want me to give some time to my wife, even though I'm super busy? What is it you want me to do? You want me to slip away and spend some time praying? What is it? Because you're the Lord. You're the master of my life. And he isn't going to enslave you with bad He's going to guide you in the things he created you to do and set you free to be everything that you were created to be and release from that place power and demonstration. Why don't you stand up? Father, we just thank you. We praise you and we magnify you. I thank you that you are moving even right now. Holy Spirit, do in our hearts. I know that I know that I know that you put this on my heart for this congregation right now. There's something that you have for us to do that will not take place if we don't see and follow you with all that we are and all that we have. I thank you in this space of time, you're ministering to us as only you can. You're preparing us for that which you have prepared for us. That when we step across that threshold, we will occupy that place. It will have no room to occupy us. So I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are dealing with us. And tomorrow when the enemy comes to challenge this word, Holy Spirit, you'll bring it to our remembrance and give us grace to deny ourselves. 
that we'll begin to follow you in the little things. And we'll start to find that we start walking into greater and greater manifestations of your spirit. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Say this we go. What God did in Christ Jesus far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great week.